Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're continuing our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, The Search for Meaning. And as we've walked through this book, I have read numerous commentaries, and those go all the way to the end. I've also listened to lots of sermons from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'll be truthful with you, the passage we dealt with last week is usually where preachers stop. And when I started reading this passage, I realized why. So, but we're going to take a few more weeks in Ecclesiastes together as we look at the idea of searching for meaning and finding out what God would have for His people to see and have for His people to hear in the midst of a world that is at times overwhelmed. If you're a mathematician, and I know that I've got mathematicians in this room right now, you know that 2 plus 2 equals what? Four. It's always four. And forever and ever, two plus two will be four. And if you are a math person, you appreciate that. And you appreciate how if you follow the pattern that this plus this equals this. Now, if you are a guest with us or you have been living under a rock, you may not have noticed that we are in a chemical community. And chemicals are a big deal, a major part of our industry. And I've learned lots over the last three years. Uh, Danny Keir and Melissa had us over a couple of years ago. They built a pool. We went swimming. The kids were still swimming because you know how it works for adults. You get in the pool and then you get out. You know, like, let the kids swim, whatever. I'll go eat a cheeseburger. And while we're there uh, chatting and having a conversation, Danny lets us know something that had taken place at work that day that I was not prepared for in my heart. He said this. He said this. Some guys mixed, and then he named off two chemicals. We'll call them Magneto and Sauron. Uh, they are the two most combustible chemicals in the world. And then he went back to drinking his Big Red. And I, my, my head's on a swivel. I'm thinking, what's going to happen if it blows up? Do I grow an extra arm? What takes place? And, and Hope looked and she said, so should we get in the car and leave? To which Danny replied, uh, you could not get far enough away. <laughs> and half the guys in here have a look on their face like, yeah, that happened at our place last Tuesday. It's math. It's If you do this, there's a system, and you don't do this, then all of this works. If you do this, and then it, and you add this, this will happen. It's always one thing leading to another, leading to another. So we're continuing to sit down with Papa Solomon this week, and as we sit down with Solomon, what he says is, but here's the thing about that. In the grand scheme of things, 2 plus 2 does not always equal 4. Now, it does mathematically, so I've not undone math today. But sometimes things just don't make sense. We love for things to make sense. You love for things to make sense. I love for things to make sense. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let's pick up in verse 15. In my meaningless life, my futile life, I have seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness. And someone wicked lives long... In spite of his evil, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is, God, it is good that you grasp the one 
And you do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten city than ten rulers of a city. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Don't, don't pay attention to everyone, to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. Uh, what I have tested, I have tested all of this to be wisdom. By wisdom, I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? I turned my thoughts to know, to explore, to examine wisdom, and to examine wisdom and an explanation of things, and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. This is where I believe this passage, uh, this is why they stopped preaching. Let me read again. It says this, And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. Her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her. But the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher. I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for but does not find. I found one person in a thousand, but none of those was a woman. Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. As we look at this text, you'll see a breakdown. I'm going to ask uh, just to see that the moral are vain. And you see that in the text, 15 through 18. The wise are sinful, 19 through 22. And in in 23 through 29, you see that humanity is depraved. So, welcome to church. Let's run through that together. The moral are vain, the wise are sinful, and humanity is depraved. Depraved. One more time. Let's go to 15. In my feudal life, I have seen everything. Some, someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness. And someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. Solomon says, look, I've seen it all. And when Solomon says that he has seen it all, it's different than me saying that I have seen it all. For me, saying that I have seen it all means, oh, I've witnessed a little bit of life. I've been a few places. For Solomon, it means I I have owned every house one could own. I have had every wife one could have. On top of the wives, I had 300 concubines. My life has been full. You can explain that to your children at lunch today. I have done everything that there is to do. I have had all of the wealth. I have sought out pleasure. I have seen it all. His all is different than my all and is different than your all. I have seen it all. And as I look and I say that I've seen it all, it doesn't seem like anything really matters. It's the story that the parent tells who keeps walking in their kid's room and seeing the toys that are there. There's a basket. There are numerous baskets in the kid's room. We have a basket that is full of Legos that the kids love to to dump out. We'll tell them to clean it up. We have a basket full of these little plastic pieces they build things with that they're also weapons. They have a basket full of glass they play with. They have all these baskets in our house and you'll tell them to pick those up and I appreciate the laughter. We've got a sane home over there. And as we tell Tell them to pick those up and then they're just dumped out again. It doesn't feel like you telling them that matters. Solomon is saying in this text, I keep looking at the world and sometimes I don't feel like anything matters. I look around this room and I know that I've got some Bible warriors and I love you guys for it. 
you know the Bible better than I do? The guests are like, well, why is that guy here? That's a great question. But think about this when we consider the idea of seeing it all. How much does our understanding of the Bible get overlapped with the idea of what we call karma? The phrases that we know. We believe that good things should happen if you do good things because 1 plus 1 equals 2 and 2 plus 2 equals 4. But sometimes, according to Solomon, that's not what happens. But we love to say phrases like, what goes around, what? Uh, Play with fire and what happens? Uh, The early bird? Those aren't scriptural principles. The world is messy. One plus one doesn't always equal two. When we look at the grand scheme of how life works, Solomon says, I just keep looking and looking and looking. And then he says, so don't do this. Don't be excessively righteous. Some of you guys are glad you're here today. And don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Maybe I can be a little bit wicked. Why should you die before your time? We look at this text and Solomon's saying to us, there's a balance that's there. If you're new, you look at this text and you are seeing that the writer of the book is pointing out to us that you have the idea of excessive wickedness. Don't go there. But he's also saying don't be overly righteous. That word is helpful for us, excessively, overly, because it lets us know that we're adding to what is actually there. This is about wearing a mask. It's about a false sense of righteousness. It's where we get the idea of hypocrisy. We think we're more righteous than we actually are. There are some in the world of the Bible who have added rules on top of what the Bible actually says. We look at this text and we see that Solomon is addressing those who are righteous to the point that what they believe has superseded what Scripture teaches us about how we are to live. And we look at the world in which we live where we consider this idea of karma and difficulty and hardship and we say that 1 plus 1 should equal 2 and 2 plus 2 should equal 4 and then we notice that the world around us is just kind of messed up. It's under a curse and we have these tsunamis and tornadoes and cancer and we have these global viruses, miscarriages, infertility, pain, broken dreams. We have terrible things like faucets that leak. We have racism. We have bee stings. We have abortions. We look around as people who seek after the righteousness of Jesus and we would say, this world should make more sense. But it just doesn't because it's under this curse. It's under a curse that we cannot overcome no matter how moral we happen to be, no matter how good we might try to be. What am I supposed to do with this? The righteous are people who are shaped by God's Word. These overly, falsely righteous are people who try to shape it, making it into a thing that it's not. Friends, if the good can have problems, then goodness is not going to give us security for a long time. We go from there to the wise and how the wise can be sinful. Go with me to 19 and 20. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. That's good. Wisdom and being a wise person, that's better than having ten presidents. It's so such a good thing. 
There is certainly no one righteous on earth who does good and, and never sins. Let's be honest. Who doesn't want to be wise? If, if you're sitting around the room like, I'm cool being a dummy, that's a different thing. But if it goes too far, it takes us to, it does weird things to us and puffs us up. If I know enough, it will be good is not the answer. It's why we make caring for other people in a very odd world. We, for whatever reason, if we are puffed up, we make caring for other people about ourselves. So we look around, we know we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. Everyone thinks that they're handling it the right way. Have you noticed that? Everybody everywhere thinks that their way is the right way. For weeks, I've had disinfectant and Lysol and wipes and a stash of granola bars and toilet paper in case I have to evacuate in my office. On the other hand, I've got Jared who's completely different. The other day, he dove into the window at Whataburger and rolled around the floor asking people to spit on him. It's such a different way to look at things. Hope explained it to me. She explained the entire thing because I'm dumb and I don't know things. She, she said... All of us think that our way is the right way. Because we want to be safe? No, that's not why. Because we love control. Every one of us love to be in control. It doesn't just happen in things like a pandemic. It happens with our theological systems. We geek out about theology and we try to back God into this weird corner where we can explain everything that He does and every way that He does it and everything that He ever will do. We take the mystery out of the Bible. We deflate it and make God flat when He's nothing like that. Remember the movie Aladdin where Jafar wants to be all-powerful and he finally realizes to be all-powerful he has to be a genie? And then he turns into this big red puffy genie or mad at everybody? Jasmine's running around bearing her midriff. That tiger's everywhere. Aladdin keeps getting swatted as he flies by. He wants to be an all-powerful genie. And then Aladdin does what? Traps him in a lamp. The theological system to which I lean, if I go too far, it makes God cruel and mean. Because the same Bible tells me that He predestined all things. It also says that He wants none to perish and He wants all people to be saved. A system doesn't get to shape our view of Jesus. The Scriptures must. If we miss that, if we miss that God cares for the world and that God is able to reconcile all people to Himself... That means that we don't care that God is in control. We just want an understanding of Him where we happen to be. 20. There is no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. It's the same phrase that Paul uses in Romans chapter 3 verse 10. It, it, it's the idea that we look around and as much as we seek after righteousness, we realize that we're all fallen and sinful and broken people. As he continues, he points out even some, some more things that we see about the wisdom of people. He says in verse 21, 
don't pay attention to everything people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart, you know that many times you have yourself cursed others. The, the wise are, are sinful because he's pointing out in this passage as we look, examining the world, giving us a bit of the story of how everything is unfolding. If we get caught up in what people say about us, which is easy to do, and it's much easier for us than it was for Solomon. Here, here's why. Because every one of us love to know what people think to the point that we carry a device around that tells us what they think about our best foot forward. Don't pay attention to everything people say. The good or the bad. Because you might hear your servant cursing you. And just in case you want to get puffed up and say, I would never do that, Solomon actually says, for in your heart, even if you've not said it out loud, you know you yourself have cursed others. We look at the world and we want to see things through the lens in which our way is the right way. 1 plus 1 equals 2. 2 plus 2 equals 4. A plus B equals the alphabet. We want these things. But you and I know that when, if we boil everything down, no matter how much we may put a really good foot forward, that we are as sinful as the people that we are interacting with that we think are so problematic. Solomon continues and he tells us that humanity is depraved. You see that in verse 23? I have tested all of this by wisdom, I, I resolved. I will be wise... But, but it was beyond me. Uh, what exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? He's saying that the world is hard to understand. That the world is crying out. So, so again, we as followers of Jesus are people who are seeking to show and display Jesus, I would hope. And right now, in the world in which we live, there is a virus, regardless of what you think about said virus, to which the entirety of the world is wanting to have healing. It is God-honoring for the people of God to point to where real healing is. And not to discredit concern or care, or people who may, for whatever reason, take all of this and, and be running in multiple directions and say, we believe that healing is there. And we don't want to discredit the idea that they're concerned because that concern should be pointing them to something greater. We watch the news, or we look at our feed of things, and we see that the world in which we live, that there is a very loud conversation about reconciliation. So as followers of Jesus, it is important, crucial, critical, not that we would roll our eyes or be frustrated that these things are happening, but that we would be people who hold up the idea that there is one who can reconcile. That we believe that, that we trust that, that our hope is there. 
And the last thing on earth people need to see from believers in Jesus is a continual scoff and scorn for their concerns when we've been begging for them to be concerned for years. We have a hope. A hope that is eternal. A hope that is greater. A hope that is bigger. A hope that is stronger. And it does not disqualify all of these issues. But it, is, it does qualify for us that we have a one who meets the needs of all of them. God's people. This world is full of mysteries. One commentator says this. As a creature made from earth. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. We can have disagreements as to how all that works. As far as, you know, do you really believe that God just created human beings like that? Well, when you look at the story, as one pastor points out, you see God making someone, forming someone, breathing life into them where life starts. And at the end of your life, you can argue about all of that and feel free. Argue with someone besides me because I'm not smart enough to understand it. But I do know that at the end of each and every one of our lives, we will breathe out and life is over. And we will turn to dust. As a creature made from earth, a mere human being cannot argue with God and force God to reveal mysteries about life's meaning that God has, chose, has not chosen to reveal. Our worldly attempts to do so are futile. Solomon continues and he says this, I turn my thoughts to know, to explore, and to examine wisdom. Seventeen times in the book of Ecclesiastes, this idea of exploration. Uh, think Dora, the explorer of Ecclesiastes. And examine wisdom. And an explanation for things. And to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. Have you ever been stupid or foolish? Have you ever felt that in your own heart? A time of, of where you've made a mistake, a terrible decision. One commentator says this, Some things are not sinful, they're just dumb. We know that. He points out, it, it, It's not a sin to eat a chainsaw, it's just a terrible idea. You would never want to do that. Solomon points out that wisdom is elusive. That it seems like the, the actual answer is always escaping us. And then we go into what takes place in 26 through 29. Where he begins to explain to us really how Solomon, the writer of this book, sees the depravity of humanity. Now remember, Solomon's a man. He's writing this book. And the things that he says can be flipped upside down. And if you flipped them upside down, I would imagine that numerous ladies in this room feel the exact same way about men that Solomon does about women in the text. I, I, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. Her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to, to find out the explanation, which my soul continually searches for but does not find. He says, I found one person in a thousand. Many translations read, I found one man in a thousand, but none of those was a woman. So now remember, Solomon with 1,000 wives is pointing out to us, look, I've sought for all of the answers there in relationship and I've not found them. Because we believe that people are going to complete us. Because Tom Cruise taught us that. 
in the 90s. You complete me. No, but people don't complete each other. I think it's cool that we're married. I love marriage. I believe in marriage. But the completion of someone does not come with a, another human being. What God's brought together is a beautiful thing. But when you look at this text, you see that Solomon's saying, if you are attempting to find your answers in earthly things, you're going to come up wanting. If you think that your spouse completes you, I want you to run in your mind. Lady, men, I, I know that we um, need to back out of this. But ladies, if you thought that your spouse completed you, can you just take me to the last time they disappointed you, which was before you got to church today? Your completion is found somewhere else altogether. In this God who is greater. You look at verse 29 and we see Solomon bring a conclusion to chapter 7. And I love his conclusion. I only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright. But they have pursued many schemes. What a way to wrap up a chapter. I look around, look at life, and, and I see that God made us right, but we're wrong. God made us the way that we were supposed to be, but our hearts kept seeking and searching to find their hope in other things. That's why we have a story in Genesis where he says, Don't eat of one tree. Leave that tree alone. You can have every other tree. Can you imagine how awesome those trees were? Pizza trees. But I don't want those trees. I want that. We seek after many schemes. It's the idea that the Bible teaches of creation. We see the story of creation runs through. We also see the fall. And that's really where Solomon stops here. There's a fall. I don't know what to do with the fact that the world is broken. But we as followers of Jesus see beyond that. Solomon saw the world incompletely. But because this is not the only book. We don't call this the Bible. We call it Ecclesiastes. We get to look beyond it and see where God completes what Solomon viewed and realized was incomplete. There's a creation, there's a fall, there's also redemption that God offers us. God offers that redemption in the person of His Son, death and resurrection. Your sin traded, your sin for His righteousness. Your hope received from Him. And there's also the idea of restoration. When God redeems us, He has restored us to Himself. And restoration is that God has made all things right. The story does not end with you becoming a Christian. It actually be continues. You are redeemed for a purpose. God has promised to renew the entirety of the world. And the Bible shows us that. The restoration of all things is going to take place. Christ will return and He will judge sin and evil and He will make the one plus one equal two for all of eternity and He will usher in righteousness and peace and God will get rid of all sin and evil everywhere all of the schemes that we have sought. We say it. That's the story of Christianity. We would say that. But we are to be people who show that. How, Chad? How? How? 
Because God has given us His Spirit to walk with us. The Holy Spirit, the, the overlooked part of the Trinity. That the Holy Spirit of God has been given to every believer. According to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Feel free to write that verse down. It will be helpful at some point I'm sure. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom who helps us to walk in a way that honors God. And the Holy Spirit seals you in Christ. You have been made Jesus's. He protects you. He guides you. He directs you. He renews you. God guides you by His Spirit. God delivers you and shows you what it means to live in this world by the power of His Spirit. Are we people walking with the Spirit, seeking after God to show us who He is by the power of His Word? Or do we have a view of God that is very karma-like? Where we believe that good things should happen to good people and we end up confused that they don't. And bad things should happen to bad people. That's not what we see as we look at the world. That's why we read a story from Luke about people asking Jesus about towers falling. We look at this text and we see that Solomon is showing us that the world is limited. His understanding of the world is limited and it's chaos. He's pointing us to one who will make right, make straight, direct. So so here's what I would love for you to do this morning as, as we consider what it means to follow after Jesus. How do you view yourself? How do you view yourself in light of who God is? How do you see yourself? When you look at your own life and you begin to evaluate, if I were to ask you the question, why God loves you, what would you tell me? If I were to ask you, is God disappointed with you, what would you say? Because the answer to those questions, both of those questions, God loves you not because you have failed, not because you have kept this correct step for the entirety of your life. God loves you because of Jesus. Loves you so wholly in Jesus. If I were to ask you if you've disappointed God, the answer to that question is absolutely not. Because you did nothing to make God love you. He loved you because He loved you because He loved you. And He directs and guides you because He wants to direct and guide you. And there's no point where God rolls His eyes at you when you fail or stumble or trip in a broken world that's chaotic, full of Legos and toys and glass. He doesn't ever say, I can't believe that one did it again. He is for you. And He has sealed you by the power of His Spirit saying so over and over. Because we're God's people So let's lean in to Him, seek after Him, sing to Him, and beg Him to show us what wisdom really is. Him revealing Himself to us so that we can walk daily, one step, one foot, in front of the other. Because we don't have everything figured out, but we trust that He does. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, You're good to us. And I thank You for these people that You've entrusted with me. Lord, I thank You for... Lord, the hard work of parents in this room, loving, caring for their children. Lord, I thank you that we get to gather, that we get to sing, that we get to believe, that we get to know, that we get to trust. 
Lord, I pray right now for us to realize that our hope is in you. And the way that we display that hope is only by the power of your spirit through your grace in our lives. So God, I pray that we would repent of anything that makes us say what goes around comes around. And we would look at this world and see that it is in need of you. Lord, not because they are in need of you. Because we are in need of you. We need you. We need to acknowledge you. We take you for granted. We struggle to follow you. Our hearts, Lord, they, they drift to various schemes. But God, you have said, I don't cancel you out because of those things. You love us. So let us dwell in that and find our hope in that. And God, be continually restored by that truth. We ask all this in your powerful name. If you need me, I'll be at the right hand side, my right hand side of the...